0: Well, good evening. good evening. How is everyone? Awesome. Glad to hear it. Um, well, as you can see, I'm here tonight. So um, Pastor Ken, I believe, got in this afternoon. So I know that he is thankful for your prayers. I'm looking forward to hearing, hearing how, how things are over there. Um, from Jamie's perspective, he has a lot to share with us. So I'm really excited about that. But tonight, I'm really privileged. Um, when Pastor Ken asked me to to teach tonight as wrestled over the passage and really felt that this is um, a message that's really, really something timely that God would really encourage us with tonight. So um, as you can see from the slide, maybe, there it is. Okay. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to uh book of Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to be going through verses 19 through 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray before we start. God, I thank you so much. um, Just for you, for who you are, Lord, for for loving us the way that you do. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you um, that your word is not just to be studied, not to just um, be analyzed, God, but as I've really just discovered this this week through studying it, that the purpose of your word is to transform us, Lord, more into the likeness of, of Jesus. So I just thank you so much for um, what you've taught me throughout this week, and I just pray that you would help me, God, just to to be as clear as possible as I seek to, to communicate what I believe that you're, you're just um, communicating to us tonight, God. So... God, I pray that you would get all the glory tonight, that we would grow closer in our walk with you as a result of going through this. I'm just ask in Jesus' name, amen. So real quickly, um, I'm not an Old Testament scholar, so I'm not going to try to be, but real quickly just want to go over a little bit of temple review. Um, if we remember the temple in Jerusalem, there's really three things that I kind of want to point out just so that. We can kind of move on from there. But the first thing is is the Holy of Holies. And if you're not aware, the Holy of Holies was the place where the presence of God dwelt. Not anyone could go in there. Um, And we'll get to kind of who could go in there. But that's one thing. Uh, One other thing we want to mention is the veil. And the veil was the thing that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. So other people could go into certain parts of the temple, but the veil is basically what um, stood between and separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of it. And then the third um, person is the high priest. And the high priest was the advocate for the people, but he could only go in there once a year. And when he did, he had to use extreme caution. Uh, We'll get into a a little bit and and talk a little bit more. I don't want to focus on that, but just if we can keep in in our minds those three terms. And then along with that, we want to think that before the death of Jesus, there were two barriers in in the temple that separated man from God. Obviously, we know that sin is what separates man from God, but specifically talking about the temple, there are really two things. One, as we talked about, the veil. It separated the dwelling of place of God's presence from the rest of the temple, and the fact that the other barrier is that only the high priest could enter, and only once a year. Um, This is talked about Earlier on in the book of Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 9:7, where it says, But into the second only the high priest goes. The second meaning uh, the Holy of Holies. And he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. Again, that's Hebrews 9:7. Um, if you want to read or study more about what that process looks like, as it's, like I said, I, I am not an Old Testament scholar, but Leviticus 16 gives the full details of that process. Um, And you can see this was um, in that day, if you wanted access to God, it was it was a bit of a challenge. So but here here we are. um, We are not in that position. We are New Testament Christians and we have and we've seen or we've read about um, and know about the death and resurrection of Jesus. And the death of Jesus removes both of those barriers. And, and that's what this passage really kind of starts with. And so in Jesus, we have a couple different things. Um, verses 19 and 20 that we read through. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. So the first thing that we have in Jesus is confident access. Um, they didn't have that before. It was a kind of a terrifying um, experience. Um, if you go through and back through and read through the passage of Leviticus, it kind of stood out to me that, um, actually, don't quote me on that. Different passage. Exodus. Um, there's a verse that talks about that the, the priests had these rituals that they had to do. And, and then it follows that statement by, so that they wouldn't die. Um, and then it talks about their nest ritual, so that they wouldn't die. I'm like, well, that's a good reason um, to to not do it. But, um, we have confident access. We don't have to be timid or shy. When Jesus died on the cross, um, that curtain, that veil that we talked about earlier was torn in two. And you can, you can read about that, um, in Matthew 27, 51, as well as in Mark 15, 38, just very short verses. that just say that when Jesus died, that's one of the things that happened is that veil was torn from top to bottom in two. um, the tearing of the veil opened the way to the presence of God. And to give a little bit of of imagery um, along with that, the tearing of the flesh of Christ revealed the full greatness of his love. And going a little bit further, Jesus' flesh is what veiled his Godhead. So Jesus was God. Um, We know I'm not going to give a a message on the Trinity as I take the stance of um, we can't explain the Trinity, but we can't explain it away. It's It's there. Um, And so Jesus was God, but his flesh is what veiled his Godhead. And so when that veil was ripped and torn in two from top to bottom, um, that really revealed the full greatness of his love. So we have the confident access. Secondly, we have a constant advocate. Um, Take that from verse 21. It says, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. The priest that we talked about before was a a human being. He was called by God to be in the position that he was, and he had certain duties. Um, But Jesus provided a perfect high priest. One very, very logical reason behind that is because the high priest was always changing because they died. And then there was a new priest that stepped in um, to, to fulfill those duties. But another reason that makes Jesus the perfect high priest is the high priest that we talked about before had to first offer sacrifices for his own sins and his household, and then he would go intercede uh, for the unintentional sins of the people. Um, Jesus was without sin, so he did not have to offer sacrifices for himself. And secondly, um, his intercession never ceases. Um, I just started thinking about these things. Um, Like I said, we have an immense privilege of knowing that Jesus has died and rose again. But in that day... I'm like, I just look at myself today. So uh, I mess up tonight, which I'm sure I will do. Um, Let's say tomorrow is the day of atonement. So the priest goes in and intercedes for me. I'm like, great, I'm good. And then five minutes later, I mess up again. And I'm like, I got to wait an entire year before I can even hope to to deal with this. So uh, again, as before, Earlier in Hebrews, this is explained to us. Hebrews 7:25 says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So he's he's always there. You know, we've we've um, heard Jesus is ascended on high, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. And um I hope we don't take these things lightly because from these two things, there's one statement that kind of encapsulates uh, encapsulates everything or what's going on here. Jesus is both the curtain, our access, and the priest, our advocate. And if we think about that, this is the reason for our confidence. If we go back to that um, verse 19 again, since we have confidence, and that's what it's based on, is we have a confident access Because of the blood of Jesus, Jesus' body was torn in two um, to make access to God possible for us, and we have a constant advocate. So um, I titled the message, Therefore, Let Us, and that's really what I kind of want to focus on with a little bit of that background. Now that we have this confidence, what do we do with it? And I'm so glad that I didn't have to make up an answer for that. Um, We just follow. We just keep reading through Scripture. Um, I'll kind of line out the the three things that we're going to talk about, and and then we'll unpack them a little bit. But therefore, let us draw near in verse 22. We'll get into that a little bit later. Um, Secondly, let us hold fast in verse 23. And then um, the third one, and this is the one that I really think God just really kind of wrecked me, um, for better or for worse. But three is, consider how to stir up one another, found in verse 24. So Those are the three things we're kind of going to dive into based on the confidence that we have. So the first one is draw near. Uh, Specifically, the verse says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled, clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. And so a few things I want to to, uh, just point out here. First is a true heart. When you look at what a true heart is, um, like I said, if you go back and read through what the, the priests had to go through before they could even access, I mean, it's, it's quite a list of things. I can't, you can't even keep track of it. Um, but when we draw near to God, when we desire to draw near to God, he just requires us to have a true heart. Um, sincerity, completely genuine, focused, wholehearted. Kind of sum it all up, just be engaged. Um, I wish I could stand before you today and tell you what that looks like, but unfortunately I can only tell you what that doesn't look like. Um, what that doesn't look like is, um, not praying with your wife until 1130 at night when you're both in bed and then falling asleep and kind of trying to fake it, pretend like it didn't happen. Um, not engaged, not alert. So God calls us to, when we, when we draw near into his presence, which we have confident access to, we have a constant advocate. There's no reason for us not to be engaged, um, we just want to be aware. I mean, I remember a few weeks ago, Pastor Ken mentioned that he gets up in the morning and the first thing he does is have coffee. So that he's awake, so he's alert, so that he's ready to hear from God. He's ready to to engage with everything, all of his energy that he has. So a true heart, sincerity, be honest. Secondly is with full assurance of faith. And I kind of want to refer us back to verse 21. Remember, we have confidence. We're not assured anything that we did. Um, it's not an, an empty, empty belief. I put on here kind of like, it's not like believing in the weather. You know, like I'm planning on going camping tomorrow because it's supposed to it's the sun. You know, the sun's supposed to come out. Um, I can't put my hope in that. But we can have, we can have full assurance of faith because we have confidence. We have confidence in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, without guilt. It says uh, sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, but without guilt. And again, referring back to verse 21, remember we have an advocate. Um, It says without guilt, not because we are without guilt. I mean, you and I both know that. Uh, I'm not without guilt. You're not without guilt. But because we have an advocate, we don't have to get up and defend ourselves. We look to the blood of Jesus. And again, this is explained to us earlier in the book of Hebrews um, chapter 9, verses 13 and 14 say, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So first point, draw near. Be honest, um, be confident, and be confident because Jesus Christ is is interceding for us. Uh, Don't have confidence in yourself. Uh, The second point that we saw from before was was to hold fast, and that's found in verse 23. Um, Again, the text says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. The first thing that I put down here was don't give up. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but has anyone here ever wanted to give up? Ever. Um, I think I mentioned this last time I was up here, but uh, God has chosen to use my four-year-old to teach me a lot. Um, That's not why I asked for him. That's not why I wanted him. (laughs) Um, But he's just using it. And I even noticed he's four years old, and I've already seen his temptation to give up. Um, He has a personality, for better or for worse, like his dad, kind of perfectionistic, uh, OCD, whatever you want to call it. I just like to call it I care. Um, But if he's trying to do something, and he can't do it because he hasn't learned how to do it yet, or he can't do it just perfectly, I mean, if, if he's going to use a pair of scissors and cut out a circle, even though he's never seen them before, he wants to pick up the pair of scissors, cut out a perfect circle, and anything less is unacceptable. Um, and when he can't do something, he just wants to give up. Um, if we want to get a little bit personal and we talk about, have you ever wanted to give up, there's a lot of things that we wouldn't want other people to know about. Um, it would be very, very unchristian of us, I guess, to say that we've ever wanted to give up in our marriage. If we wanted, ever wanted to give up in parenting, if we wanted to give up on our job, whatever. I mean, bottom line is, we've all been tempted to, to give up. Um, most of the time, in my life, I'd say probably all the time, that we're tempted to give up is because we're looking to ourselves. Because, you know what? I, I can't. Apart from Christ, my marriage is hopeless. Apart from Christ, my kid is in big trouble. Um, and you can fill in the blank with whatever you want to there. But real shortly here, the reason why we don't have to be tempted to give up when it says let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering is because he who promised is faithful. There's a lot of things you can't put your hope in. Um, That hope, the confession of our hope, the fact that we have an advocate who intercedes for us night and day, 24-7, 365 days a year, all the time, that promise is faithful. As as some people say, you can take that to the bank. Uh, I love the way um, one of the, the studies I was reading through quoted it like this. We must hold on to the anchor of hope we possess. Our hope is in Jesus and is anchored in heaven, where he intercedes for us. This is no cockeyed optimism, but tremendous reality. And that's just so amazing, because, I mean, that's a great statement. I could say, even if it wasn't true, I mean, that's, that's encouraging to read. You know, yeah, it's great, awesome. But it's not just a, a far-fetched belief. And I love the, the analogy of, of the, the anchor our hope is in Jesus as an anchored in heaven. No one, if you've trusted in the, in the name and the blood of Jesus, no one can take that away from you. No matter how rough things are at home, at work, here, with neighbors, whatever's going on, no one can take that hope away from you. And I love how they use the anchor because it's, it's such a strong symbol. What's the anchor used for? When you start drifting, it, it keeps you in one spot. Um, One thing that that they talked about was, you know, people would go deep out to sea. Um, You're crazy if you get on a boat and go out to sea without an anchor. And it's such such a powerful, powerful thing. So that is our anchor. And so he who promised is faithful, and so we can hold fast with confidence. And this third point is probably... Probably the point that I wrestled over the most, as I said earlier, this is kind of where where God kind of wrecked me. He kind of touched a little bit too close, uh, which he he tends to do. Um, But again, from the text, going from verses 24 and 25, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So there's three things that I kind of want to just make note of, different points of this. Um, the first is we want to stir up one another to love and good works. The second part of that is, is not neglecting. you know, Not neglecting to come together like we are tonight. Um, even You may not even think about it, but even just by choosing to be here tonight, you've made a statement. You've made a, a professing statement of your faith. You know, maybe there were people that you talked to before and, and they didn't want to go or you told them you told your coworkers that you were going to a Bible study tonight, and just by simply being here tonight, we are being faithful to what to what God's called us to do and the third thing is encouraging one another. so I'm hoping that um, this can be communicated as, as clearly as I feel that that matches up with the power that God is saying it to you, but but first of all. It's not about the love and good works. That's not what this passage is about. Love and good good works are great. Um, I definitely love it. (laughs) When people show me love and good works, I love to watch others do love and good work. But this passage is not about love and good works. It's about stirring up one another. And to pause for a minute here, this word stirring... um, I'm pretty new when it comes to in-depth word studies of things, but basically this word stirring is a pretty sharp word. It's not a pleasant word. It's kind of like, it's not like a, you know, slow stir. It's more of like when you're like getting ready to scramble eggs and you're just like taking the fork and pulverizing the thing. It's kind of, it's a very, very active word. So that's what we're talking about is stirring up one another. And secondly... It's not about what you can get. It's about what you can contribute. And you might be starting to see why um, God kind of put me in an uncomfortable spot right now. So many times, maybe even tonight, maybe you're here because you have you have a hungering for the word and you just want to be here so that you can soak it in and soak it in. And that's great. Like Bible study is great. But that's... That's not what we're to do with our confidence. It's about what we can contribute because all of us can contribute something. So we'll go a little bit further and talk about this idea of stirring up one another. I've mentioned it several times, but as you start to study the Bible, the Holy Spirit starts getting real close and personal. Um, anybody recognize that picture? A few of you probably not that picture, maybe those people. Um, For those of you who don't know, that's my family. That's my wife, my four-year-old son, Grayson, and my two-month-old daughter, Rue, who, don't care what you say, is the sweetest thing ever. But the point that I want to make at this is as I started to, to talk about this and, and God gives you a passage like this and says starting to, to talk to a group of people about stirring up in one another and, and encouraging one another, he's like, you can't do that until you look inside your own house. Um, and this is something that I started to realize why God put this passage in my life because it's, it's, been, it's been a process uh, of how things have, have gone through. Um, there were times I've been on staff here at Calvary Spokane for I think it's coming up on four years. Um, it's gone. It's gone by so quickly. I never anticipated myself being here, although I did attend here um, before when I was when I was younger. But when I was first here, this was my first experience of being on staff at a church, um, and. Those guys, minus my daughter, because she didn't exist, they paid the price because I was putting in the the long hours, um, everything that was needed here. I was taking more and more on my plate, doing all that I could, um, and, and the worst thing about it was I convinced myself that it was worth it. Um, and it was probably maybe maybe a year ago that God really started to work on me on that and say, you know what, like this is your first and your your first and foremost ministry. Um, if you if you can't be faithful in what I've called you and where I've placed you to do this, you have no business doing anything and saying that you're serving. And what I mean by that is I'd be here, you know, doing ministry. I'm working at a church. I'm doing ministry and serving God um, and just leaving my my wife to try to figure things out, try to take care of things, um, coming home late and just totally doing my thing and not really paying any, any attention to that. So, Um, the statement that comes up next from that is really why I have this picture up there. And I would encourage this to to anyone here. If you have a family, one of the biggest things that you can contribute to the body of Christ is by leading your family in a godly way. And I'm gonna get into that a little bit later, but just an example. Um, If you're married, if you've been married for maybe five years, the people who have been married for, for one year or two years, or maybe they're engaged, or maybe they're just dating. Whether you realize it or not, they're looking to you. They're seeing how you're doing things. And while you don't have a chance to sit down and talk with them each individually and talk about the experiences and the things that you've learned, just by you being faithful means more than you can ever imagine. Because... I've been married for about five years now, and it may surprise you, but I have experienced probably the exact same struggles and trials that you guys did in your, five your first five years of marriage. And probably some of the greatest things that you know I've grown from or learned from are people that you're able to watch. You know, like I said, when it comes to um, I wish I could stand up here and tell you, yeah, I know how to do it. I figured it out. I figured out the right way. Unfortunately, I can't. I can just tell you the wrong way. Maybe, maybe after I've been married 10 years, maybe I'll be able to tell you more about the right, right way after I've, I've tried it and done it my own way. But as you might be able to tell, this is very near and dear to my heart. And I would just, again, encourage you, if you have a family and if you are in this church, One of the biggest things that you contribute to our our body, our congregation, is by leading your family well in a godly way. Be a model. Be an example of what it looks like to be a godly husband or a godly dad, a godly wife, a godly mom. Go further. Grandparents. Be an example for other people to look to because it means more than you'll ever know. Um... But what if you don't have a family here at this church? Or what if you're not married? Um, you're not off the hook. And this is where things, again, get personal for me. Uh, what if you're already doing that? Or what if you have a family and you're already leading it well? You're like, yeah, I feel, you know, God is amazing. He's, he's doing great things. We're leading our family. What, what do we do? How, how do we contribute men? Or what more can we do? You know, wouldn't it be great if there was some place that we had to put this into practice? Um, Again, this is personal. About, well, actually, it was last fall. Last fall, Pastor Ken did a series called Doing the Christian Life Together. Anybody remember that? Great series um, in so many ways. It was one of the series that we knew God had put together from start to beginning. And at that time, or kind of leading up to that, he basically communicated to me that I was going to head up our Connect Group ministry. Why? I'm not sure. I know my wife has a large part to do with it. Um, Because that's one of the things I love about my wife is she compliments me so much where um, I just, things that I'm I'm not gifted in, I'm not skilled in, I'm not talented in. So, wouldn't it be great if there was some place that we could put these things into practice? There is. And I wrestled over this this week because I'm not here to toot to my horn about a ministry that I oversee. Um, but I really believe that this is something that God is really calling to uh, us to as a church. And I really believe that this passage is something that speaks to this. Specifically, stirring up one another—that's what our connect groups are all about. And before I get into that, there's one thing that I started thinking about. Do um, you guys ever stirred something up? Maybe you take a glass and there's maybe sugar in the bottom of it, and some water. You stir it up. As long as you're stirring it, it's kind of okay. For example. Um, my grandma um, used to go to her house, and she would make this, this instant iced tea mix. As an adult, I don't get that stuff at all, because I'm like, if you try to mix sugar in a cold liquid, it's not going to work. You have to have a hot liquid to dissolve sugar. But it just this very clear picture came into my mind of when you take that cold water, you put the ice in, you put your, your mix in, and you start stirring. As long as you're stirring, it looks okay. You might even be able to take a drink of it. As soon as you stop, what happens? It all sinks to the bottom. And the last thing that you want to do is take a drink of it. Um, You can think of so many different examples. So this isn't like a a one-time thing. This isn't like I encourage my wife once a month or, or one time and then I'm good. Like this is a continual thing because as soon as I stop, I start to become stagnant. I start to to look more like the things of this world than the things of God. So, again, our connect groups are all about stirring up one another. And you may have heard me talk about this when we when we first launched our connect groups, but just want to talk about a, a few different things that go on in our connect groups and talk a little bit about why they're there. Uh, We'll start with prayer. How do you stir one another up? You pray for one another, and it goes both ways. If you've got something going on in your life, um, the church is really the first place you should be able to come and work through some of the things that you're struggling with. Because we're going to want to struggle with it. We're going to want to get through it in a God way. We want to get through it in a way that's according to the Bible. So if you need prayer, if you've got something going on, maybe you're looking for a job, maybe you need whatever's going on. We all, no one's going to sit here and tell me like, no, I don't need prayer for anything. I'm good. So you need prayer. Come, come get it. Come pray for other people. Come encourage people by praying for them. It's a way for us to to sharpen one another again, to stir one another up. Because what happens when we pray? God moves. Like when we pray and say, God, I can't do this. He says, no, but I can. And I've just noticed this. Again, I won't get into all the specifics, but probably a little over a month ago, God really spoke to, to me and my wife about an area of our lives that we just kind of weren't stirring one another up. And it was just kind of getting stagnant and disgusting and worse as the day went on. And God really spoke to us about this and uh, just came home and said, you know what, like, that's it. Like, we're not going to continue to let this thing just control our lives And we found that as we both committed to say, like, you know what, God, like, we're done doing this our way. We're going to do it your way. I can't even number the things that have happened in the last month and a half that I'm just like, how in the world did that happen? And why is it continuing to happen? Because Jesus is our advocate. When we come to him, he listens. I'm not suggesting that when we come and we have a need and we say, I want this, that he says, like, all right, here you go, you have everything you want. Because most of the time he answers us in a different way than we expected. But prayer, prayer is a major part of our connect groups. At the end of each night, we break apart into a guy's group and a girl's group, we share a prayer request, we pray for one another. Sometimes we actually gather in our group specifically we would gather together in the middle and you lay hands on people. Why? Because that's what the Bible tells us to do. Not because there's some magical power, but someone's got something going on. And so we come around that person and say, God, we know that you see this. We know that you can do something about this. And so we're coming to you. Another point of our our, our connect groups Example, and I talked about this a little bit when it talks about leading your your family from a a godly standpoint, leading your family in a godly way, but example, Um, one of the great things I love about connect groups is because you don't get to pick them. You sign up for a group based on the night that it's offered or if it's close to you and you show up and you don't know who else is going to be there. And sometimes it's really awkward. But that's what's so amazing because because you don't know and you start to realize things. You can learn from other people, whether it's marriage. I'll use our group as an example. Um, We by far have the youngest group. (laughs) I just turned 34 years old and I was the oldest person. But still within that, we had diversity. We had me and my wife who had kids. We had another married couple. I shouldn't say had, we have. We have another married couple who don't have kids. They've been married for a little over a year. So we've already got a difference thing. We have a couple who got engaged. Um, They're getting married at the end of this month. We have single people who are looking to do that, and they're fighting the, I mean, if you're single, you know what the the struggle is. You know, how do I be content? I know you tell me, like, wait, 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 wait. Okay, I'm tired of waiting. Like, I I need something. So example. If you need to see a good example of what something looks like, chances are there's someone in your group. Maybe you're somebody who others, we, we can learn from. Maybe you've, you've raised your kids. They're out of the house. We can learn from you. And connect groups are really all about stirring up one another by learning from our example, doing things together, learning from others' mistakes. Another point. I'm not putting this thirdly because it's third in priority, um, because it's pretty high up. We started our connect groups based on questions from the Sunday morning sermon, God's word. We we get into it, and we don't get into it in the way of you know we're just going to study deep theology forever. Like we're here to be real, you know, and discuss about um, discuss the questions, discuss the Bible. What's this passage? What does it mean? Why? How do I actually live it out in my life? And the phrase that, that um, I came across for this that I, I loved is theology is to be done by the assembled church. Theology doesn't just take place when we come on a Sunday morning and just hear somebody who we view as way smarter than us or, or, or whatever, and we just sit there and listen to it and soak it in. Like Theology... Is, is done. When we take that, that word, it's, it's applied to our life. It actually makes a difference. It actually does begin to transform our life. It changes the way that we do, the, the way that we handle things in our work and in our family, um, and other areas of our life. And then lastly is encouragement. Um, people who are going to show up in your connect group, they, they're going to have struggles just because we all have struggles. And it's a place to be encouraged. The Christian life, the reason that series was titled Doing the Christian Life Together is because the Christian life is not designed to be done alone. It's to be done together so that we can encourage, we can share our struggles, we can receive and give encouragement, again, based off of our experience. You know, you don't make it up. You don't just, like, someone comes in and they share a problem and you have no idea what they're talking about, and you're like, whoa, you just need to do this. Like, that's, that's not the point of it. The point is really a genuine stirring up. So those are kind of four real things of our connect groups, how we um, desire. And our goal really is to, to stir one another up. But to kind of start to bring things into, into a close. We don't meet just to meet. We don't meet just so that we can, we can feel good about ourselves so that we can check something off of a list, so that we can, you know, whatever, whatever it is. That's not why we meet. There's something even bigger. And this is probably the, one of the biggest changes of focus for me as we start to look at what is, what's really the point. Um, because if you, if you were here last time I spoke, uh, or if you go back and listen to last time I spoke, um, me personally, I, I kind of thought I ended on a good note. Um, you know, be like Jesus. Um, God graciously showed me that I failed um, through this study because there's people who aren't even Christians that say, yeah, you should be like Jesus. He's a good person. You should be like Jesus. But we got to go further than that. Um, And again, I love how just God just uses everything to work for something or to work work everything out in our lives. Um, And kind of the statement that I I came across was in a book by John Piper called God is the Gospel. Um, If you're looking for a good read, if you want to be challenged, this is a great one to do it. Um, When I came across this statement, I know it's good. I tried to unpack it a bunch in my mind. I'm still wrestling over it because I just, it's one of those things that's just packed full of nuggets. But it really speaks to why we stir one another up. Not just so that we'll be you know, good people and do good works and good deeds because that's not the point. It's not about the good things and the, and the good works and deeds that we do. But towards the beginning of his book, before he even gets into unpacking this whole thing, he says, Nothing fits a person to be more useful on earth than to be more ready for heaven. This is true because readiness for heaven means taking pleasure in beholding the Lord Jesus. And beholding the glory of the Lord means being changed into his likeness. Nothing would bless this world more than more people who are more like Christ. For in likeness to Christ the world might see Christ. And as you can kind of tell from the title of that book, his whole point is sometimes we get wrapped up in all these different things that we think are the benefit. And he asked a question at the very beginning of his book that goes something like, if you got to heaven, there was no sickness. Everything's great. You know, weather's great. All all this is great. But Jesus wasn't there. Would you, would you be okay with it? And not asking for a show of hands, but I think it's a question that we have to ask ourselves because as his book title says, like God is the gift. Always, always has been. People wanted to gain access to God back in the temple, but there was barriers. But God is the best thing. That he he is the gift. Um To go away from that book, another way, if you go to 1 Corinthians 3.18, it says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So stirring one another up is all about us becoming more and more like Jesus. And the more and more that we become like Jesus here, the more that we're readying ourselves, the more that we're readying our family to be with him for eternity. And that was one of the first things. I showed that picture of, of my family earlier. That was one of the first things that happened. Like, as a husband, I'm like, as a result of being married to me is my wife being prepared to spend eternity with Jesus. The way that I'm leading her And I hope that as we reflect on this, as we let this really sink into us and transform us, I hope that we can answer that question. Answer the question, will we be okay if we get to heaven and everything's great except Jesus isn't there? I hope we can all answer that with no. No, that's not good news. And I hope that if you're married or if you have a family or wherever you're at, I hope that you can say that as a result of of you and Christ shining through you, that the people that you're around, the people that you're influenced by, are are being made more ready. They're being ready to be with Jesus for eternity. So a few things to wrap this up. Um, One thing, before God had really called me to oversee our Connect Group ministry, there are two statements that he really spoke out to me, and I just want to share them with you. one was grow where you're planted. You may be saying here, I don't want, I don't want to get involved in a group. I don't want to get in a group of other believers because like, I'm moving on or I'm only here for a short term. Like, Let God solve that. Like, Let God determine when you move on or when you're done. But just grow where you're planted. And when we started to do that is when things just, just started changing. Our priorities became more in line. We started seeking the right things. And second thing was this was very um, easy for me to, to relate to as having a yard. But you've already, everyone's heard the phrase, um, grass is always greener on the other side. That's not true. The truth is the grass is greener wherever you water it. And so if you're not watering your grass, it's not doing anything. If you're not watering where God's put you and trusting him to cause the growth and, and do everything else... You're trying to, to do something that, that you're not supposed to do, so these two things are kind of what prompted pushing me into this. So, just to kind of to kind of close things up, um, does this make sense, Is God? I'm sure I'm probably not going to be you know best friends with some of you after this because you know I'm sure some of you are, are pretty content, not being intentional about, about stirring one another up. And, but I want to close with this, and I hope it really is an encouragement to all of us. To kind of summarize things up, draw near to God with confidence because of the finished work of Jesus. Don't come based on anything else because it's not enough. It won't do anything. But the finished work of Jesus is all you need. That accomplished everything his death and resurrection, and now he's sitting at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. You don't need anything more. To kind of summarize the the other point, hold fast to the hope of our confession, not because of of anything you are or have done, but because he who promised is faithful. Again, not in you. It's all about him and what he has done. And the last thing, I just encourage all of us because it takes effort to keep stirring. You can't just shake it up for a little bit and then set it on the table and and call it good. It takes effort, so you have to be intentional. Be intentional about gathering together with other believers. Be intentional about stirring up one another to love and good works, how you can do that. Be intentional about encouraging one another. Not because I said it, because it's right here. And if you want motivation, the end of this section, of verse 25, kind of captures it all. All the more. And I love it because it applies to everyone. If you're like, "Hey, I'm already doing that. All the more. Do it more. And why? Because you see the day drawing near. What day? Jesus is coming back. And after he comes back, there's nothing more we can do. You can't stir up one another after that. Or, or maybe it's, you know, we're not guaranteed anything. So maybe it's not Jesus coming back. Maybe it's our own death. You can't do anything after that. So I hope it's encouraging to all of us that as we read this passage and we hear God speaking to us, to be intentional, do everything that you can until then. Take advantage of the time. I love my wife dearly. I love my kids dearly. I hope that I'm faithful to stirring them up until then. Good? All right, let's pray. God, again, I, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the instruction that's found in your word, but I thank you that your word is so much more than instruction. God, I thank, for, I thank you for this congregation that I know that you've, you've called me to. Uh, five years ago, I didn't see myself here. And I didn't see myself doing what I'm doing now. Lord, but you've made it so clear that this is the group of people that I'm to be among um, to encourage, to serve, to love. God, and I thank you for that. I thank you that your plan is perfect. Lord, and I just, I pray and I trust that you are speaking to us as a church. Lord, I know that the people who are here tonight, Lord, they love you. Yeah, they come here to study your word. They come here to hear from you. Lord, and I just, I pray that you speak to all of us. I pray that we walk away encouraged, Lord, and motivated, Lord, knowing that your word says that no one knows the day or the hour. God, but we have a mission to do until then. So let us be faithful to that. And we just ask in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?